After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Alexandra O'Neill is an up-and-coming designer known for her intricate feminine collection, Markarian. I loved learning how Alexandra attributes much of her success to the women in her family. From her grandmother Gigi teaching her how to sew, to her sister jumping in as a business partner, the women in her family continue to lift her up as she rises to new heights. Alexandra, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. We met several years ago in Paris, I think one of your first collections. Will you tell me a little bit about how you got started? Of course. Um, again, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm very excited to be doing this. We did meet a few years ago in Paris now, and I launched Markarian in, I guess, March of 2017. So it's been five years now as of last month, which is really exciting, although I feel like the past two years don't really count. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't really think they count. I mean, I it, only not only right? because everything was so weird, but also like you have such a time warp in your head. I'm kind of like, I don't even know if those two years happened. <laughs> I don't even know it's what. It's true. <laughs> it's so funny. Everything felt like it either happened 10 years ago or it happened like last week. And I have like no concept of time anymore. <laughs> I know. It's such a really, it's such a strange feeling. It is. We had our spring fashion show yesterday. And so it was the first event we've had in a long time in the store. And I hadn't seen a lot of clients for a, a long time. <laughs> And I, it was the same kind of thing. I was like, what have you been doing for the last two years? <laughs> you know? I know. By the way, the show the show in um, February that I saw, was it, was it was the first show I'd been to in a couple of years. But it was one of the most joyful, spectacularly beautiful shows I've seen in a long time. The, the space itself was so beautiful. But not only that, I mean, the clothes were extraordinary, but the crowd was so excited to be there. I mean, it, it was really, really joyful. It was I'm a great so, moment. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you guys could come too. I mean, Capital has been one of my personal favorite stores for a really long time. And it was, I could not have been more excited when we actually started working together. So Aww. that was really, really a special moment for me. I am so lucky that we've had such wonderful supporters over the past couple of years and people who really are like cheering for us, literally, I guess. For sure, yeah. <laughs> when we decided to do the fashion shows, we partnered with IMG and we're a part of the Fashion Alliance with them and they've been so wonderful wonderful to us and it's been a great experience. But I knew that I wanted to do something that was more of like a classic salon style show that really kind of spoke to what we do every day here at Markarian, yeah. um, where we do have our showroom and we provide that private client experience. Um, and I wanted to make sure that also translated into a show where people can see things on a on a grander scale. I always end up loving our models and working with our models because they're so wonderful, and we only ever pick we only ever work with girls that truly, truly love the clothing so that they feel good in it when they're walking down the runway because I think that makes such a big difference. It does. You can totally tell. And the girl, we also like typically let the girls kind of pick what they want to wear because Aww. again, you want them to feel to feel good in it. So I think that always kind of comes across when they're walking down the runway and kind of adds to the whole experience. It really did. It was spectacular. Alexander, where are you from? I grew up in Colorado in this little town called Evergreen. It's in the foothills of Colorado. So it's very remote. Our closest neighbor was about a mile away, I think. But wow. it was a really, really beautiful, nice place to grow up. And I, I loved it. And how did you get there? Actually, my family is from 
Oyster Bay in Long Island, so yeah. here in New York. And we moved out to Colorado when I was eight. My parents visited, I guess, and fell in love with it and decided to pack us all up and move us on over there, which is <laughs> a very, very different life from, from what we had. But it ended up being a really beautiful, magical place to grow up. We lived basically in, in the woods. Um, <laughs> and we had all kinds of animals in our backyard. We had elk and mountain lions and coyotes and bighorn sheep and oh deer and everything. So it was really wild turkeys. It was really a fun way to grow up as, as a kid. And we had so, so much space to like go out and explore. We built different forts everywhere. <laughs> we would go out on our balcony every single night and watch the shooting stars because the night sky oh was totally clear and so bright and so beautiful. And what was school like? Did you go to a, I mean, sounds like probably a small school. So we went to a small school down in Denver, actually, which was about an hour and a half away from where we lived. So that was definitely um, a challenge as a kid is, is having to commute like that back and forth. I, I would think that's probably pretty interesting too. With And you have siblings. Yeah. Yeah. I have an older sister and a little brother. And I think it's probably why we're so close. Our family's <laughs> incredibly close. And that's always been really nice. I think it also made me have a really great appreciation for music. Yeah, totally. No, I think it's a real thing. <laughs> it is a real thing. And it's so funny. Whenever my dad would drive us down to school, we could never agree on what to listen to for music. So the only thing that we could agree on was Queen. So I know every single Queen song <laughs> in and out. <laughs> well, and and now understanding where you grew up to your your collection, that your recent collection that I just saw in New York in February makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yep, exactly. Huh. Yeah, and then I moved to I moved to New York when I was 18 to go to NYU for a while. I studied art history. Good. Again, it really <laughs> plays into I think so much of what I do and how I design. Totally. We have so many. Uh, there's so many art history majors that are designers that I interview. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think it kind of makes sense because you build an appreciation for art and how things are done and living in like more of a creative world. I think that, and I think also as a buyer and with a new team, I have a new young buying team. And I think it's really interesting because you, the, the younger the buyers get sort of the, the references are really different. Mm -hmm. And so we have, I have like recommended movies for them. We watched Belle du Jour a few weeks ago, like things like that, because, mm -hmm. it, and, it, and I think that you, a lot of fashion really is about references, referencing historic paintings or movies or you know iconic women in history and I don't know it, exactly it, and you realize like your team you kind of have to all be speaking the same language right you do definitely um one of my favorite things to do is to go to museums and look at old portraits mm -hmm. from like the 1600s 1700s because they're so detailed and, and you can really like see the textures of the fabrics and the paintings and the colors are so vibrant and beautiful and I just I, I love doing that I'm more 16th century, and I love the jewelry. Mm -hmm. That that's my favorite part of portraits. So good, but also <laughs> the, the jewelry, the jewelry that they built into the clothing. I know, <laughs> I know. It's like the best part. Like all of those dresses from the 16th century have those like ornate necklaces that are basically embroidered onto like these beautiful velvet gowns. Completely, and like into their hair. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh, those pearl hair nuts yes, are my favorite some of thing. my most favorite things to look at. <laughs> that and an ermine totally cape. Totally agree. <laughs> Tell me about, um, I heard a little bit about your grandmother, Gigi. Tell me about Gigi. Yeah. <laughs> so Gigi just turned 95. Oh my gosh. Uh, this year, which is 
Very exciting. Um, Gigi has lived with us ever since I was born. So I've been really close with her um, my entire life, and she's been a huge part of my life. And she's actually the one that taught me how to sew. Oh, wow. Gigi lived with us and a grandmother, and then my great-grandmother also lived with us. Oh, my gosh. Um, and really? My mom's side of the family is Greek, so we all living, love living on top of each other. Oh, that's so awesome. What, um, what an incredible incredible way to grow up. And so did, did yeah. sewing connect immediately for you? It did. I would watch both my grandmother and great-grandmother at home, like, sitting and, and, you know, like, mending our clothing. And they each had their own little, like, sewing kits and little sewing baskets. And I, like, would want to help them. So my grandmother <laughs> taught me how to sew. And I would do, like, little things like that. And then she saw that I had an interest in it. So she would help me start putting together my own garments. And I would go to our local fabric store, which was Denver Fabrics. <laughs> and I would buy a bunch of fabric scraps, basically. And I would lay it out on my grandmother's floor. I wouldn't even use a pattern. I would just drape or, like, cut out my own um, my own pieces like that. And she would help me put it together. Do you still have any of them? Or does she have any of them? <laughs> oh, yeah. We definitely still have them. They're, they're all in my closet in Colorado. What was it like coming to New York from Colorado? That must have been a culture I mean, shock. We spent a lot of it was, but we always spent a lot of time here because my family's from yeah. here in general, not necessarily in the city, but we would, you know, make our little trips into the city and we would go shopping. The first vintage piece I ever bought was at the store called Patina. Um, I don't know if you ever went there in I've Soho. Never and it was this like gorgeous black silk Susie Perrette, like 1950s puppy dress. Uh, and I wore that to one of my um, school dances. Amazing. And I think that's when I really had this, like when my appreciation for vintage fashion really started. And then I came to NYU. I always knew that I wanted to do something in fashion because I loved it so much. And I didn't just want to work in fashion to work in fashion. I wanted to work in fashion because I loved making clothing. Yeah. And I never pictured myself doing anything else. So I moved to New York when I was 18. My sister was already on the East Coast. She was up at Harvard. Um, she's two years older than me. So I had her here. And then actually my little brother ended up going to NYU too. So all three of us ended up being out here. Did you feel like you needed to have more training or had you just grown up with enough that you felt like you could start from there and just jump? I felt as if I grew up with enough where I could figure it out. And I actually started a clothing line with my sister when I was um, 19. So while I was still in college oh my God. and it was a small line, it was called Porter Gray. Um, we're a small contemporary line and we did that for, I think eight years. I handled like the creative side of things. And then my sister handled the, the business side of things. And she's very creative in her own sense. She actually does events now. And so it was a really nice way to start a business, and we worked really well together. I mean, she's so wonderful. She she always knew that I wanted to, to do this, and so she really, I guess, kind of helped me realize my dream, as cheesy as that sounds. No, sounds but like she, a dream. <laughs> she really, it was, and she stepped in, and she really kind of made it happen for me. And that background really set me up, I think, for success in, when I was starting Mercarian. So I had already kind of had that experience of starting a, a line in New York City and making everything in New York uh, under my belt, even if I was doing it just on my own this time. Did you ever work in retail? Did you ever, I mean, how, how did you know who to sell to or any of that? <laughs> I know. Other than I, having I a really smart sister. that <laughs> I just had a really <laughs> smart sister. <laughs> I got so lucky because I had a really smart sister with really great instincts. But we just, we researched everything and we spoke to everybody that we could speak to. 
Um, and we just managed to somehow figure it out for ourselves. But the amazing thing about New York, and it's why I believe so strongly in making everything in New York, is that there are so many resources here yeah. for uh, emerging designers. So you can really, anything that you need, you could find here. And did you have any mentors along the way? Were there any designers that you spoke with or did you just go it alone the whole time? We pretty much went went it alone the whole time. <laughs> but we actually, we met this one man in the garment center because I knew I knew I needed a pattern maker, but I didn't know where to find a pattern maker. So we just started cold calling people. And I cold called this guy named Wade and he had a pattern service company, which is not pattern making at all. It means he makes the different sizes for all right. of the clothing. <laughs> but he then kind of took us under his wing and he introduced us to everybody that we ended up working with. And he kind of guided us over the you know, following eight years. Uh, it was really, really wonderful. That's got crazy. Really lucky with him. <laughs> and and what was the biggest challenge during that time? I think initially getting things off the ground. I mean, once you kind of have your business set up and you have a foundation, it's so easy just to start running things like clockwork. But it's really setting up that foundation. I think is the most challenging. So finding all of your resources and finding the people that actually work for you and finding good factories. So that's I think the biggest challenge. And then how did you know that that chapter was over? I mean, how did you know it was time to end? So when we started, we were in the contemporary market. We started in, what, 2006? Mm -hmm. And that was like a real sweet spot for the contemporary market. And it was great. And then it kind of became a little bit oversaturated, I would say. Um, And my sister's heart really was not in fashion. So she she really wanted out. And we both agreed that it was it was kind of time to move on. That I couldn't torture my poor sister anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't love fashion, you really you can't be in it for so long. You have oh, to truly be in love with it. I really agree with that. Like it is, you yeah. have to be sort of a monster. Like you have to really be you ready do. to fight. You know, you do. You have to be all in, and you you have to love it with your heart and your soul, or else you just you can't do it. <laughs> it's a really challenging industry to work in. And I don't think that a lot of people give it that much credit because they think it's like fashion and silly or whatever. But Agreed. people don't recognize what a monstrous business it is and employs a lot of people around yeah. the entire globe. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest industries in, in New York, especially. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, so after Porter Gray, um, closed or after you Mm -hmm. wrapped it up. (laughs) Did you you go straight into Mark I took a couple of years off. I knew that I wanted to do something. I needed a little bit of a break from fashion myself, but I didn't know what I wanted to do really. So I took some time off and I initially was going to launch a handbag collection because I'd never done bags before. I knew nothing about them. I thought it would be really fun to to learn about it. (laughs) Learn something new. Yeah. And then after a couple of years, I was like, mm, you know what? I miss fashion. I miss making clothing. It really is where my strength is. And my sister was getting married, and we had the hardest time finding dresses for her wedding. So I ended up making a lot of my own dresses. And then I realized there was kind of a gap in the market for that. Yeah. And that's when I decided to launch Markarian and um, have that more specific kind of event wear focus point of view. And did you start in the same way almost that you did before? You just sort of started. <laughs> yep. Just sort of started. I started with a small collection. I think I had 15 to 17 styles and I got lucky because Moda picked me up for a trunk show for my first collection. Wow. Um, and they really were so good to me. They really stood behind the brand and kind of launched it forward. And then I kind of moved from there and it's been, it's been a really fun experience. I've been having a great time with it and 
I love what I do. So I really, I have no complaints here. <laughs> and tell me about the name Markarian Alexander. Where does it come from? So Markarian is named after a group of galaxies, um, a particularly vibrant grouping of galaxies. Really? Mm-hmm. Is something you knew about for a long time? and thought about? Yeah, I've always been, I mean, start, I actually, I take back my previous statement. The hardest part of starting a company is coming up with a name. <laughs> and and <laughs> That what, is the greatest challenge, just what, coming up with a good name. <laughs> I didn't want to use my own name. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ali O'Neill doesn't really have that much of a ring to it. Well, I don't think that, I think it's just, it's just so personal. Like I, same with me when so we personal. named the store, I wanted it to yeah. be something completely just not even related to I, me. <laughs> that's exactly how I felt too. Yeah. So when I was coming up with the name, I'd always been interested in space. I read like the light years <laughs> blog and I've always loved it and always found it, especially when, I mean, growing up in Colorado and going out and watching the shooting stars every single night, I really fell in love with that. And like, the mythology behind constellations and it just felt extra yeah romantic and ethereal I kind of decided to start going in that direction when I was trying to come up with a name and that's where I came up with Mark Harian. I love it it seems like you've built just from my communication and my contact with him it seems like you've built a, an amazing team tell me what support looks like in this business like I have. I am so lucky. I could not love my team more. I could not have a better team that is so excited to, you know, come to work every single day. We love all being together. We're all sitting in the office right now, <laughs> surrounded, by, surrounded by everybody. And they truly, truly believe in what we're doing here, which is, I think, incredible. Um, and everybody's very proud of their work and feels very invested in it. And I am so lucky to have the kind of team like that, that I have. Because they make the everyday not only possible, but enjoyable. Yeah. And I guess you're doing the design side and the business side, I would imagine, a good bit. Yes. Is there one so, side you prefer? The design side. I'm in this <laughs> because I love designing. I am not a business person. I've managed to get by and I now have proper support um, for that, which is really great. And that takes a lot of work, actually getting that support and understanding that you need it, I think. It does. And finding the right person that can support you in that way or support your business in that way that you trust to support your business in that way. Yeah. Talk to me about creativity and, and how you make space for that. I mean, it's creativity is such a big part of my life in general. I, I find inspiration in so many different things. It's always been a big part of my life. And even when I was younger, I loved doing like random arts and crafts and I loved painting and I loved sketching and I loved making clothing I've always been more of a creative person than anything else. And I'm lucky that I'm able to, or I have been able to, to turn that into a business for myself. Yeah. A beautiful business. Thank you. <laughs> How many collections do you design now? So I was at six collections before COVID. What? Really? Which is crazy because I did two uh, main collections, two pre-collections and two bridal collections. Oh, wow. Um, because bridal is so strong for us. And then during COVID, we cut that down to just two collections because, I mean, what's the point in putting so much out there in a time when people aren't really buying things? Right. And so, um, so is bridal still a part of it? Bridal still a part of it, but I was building the bridal into each each of the two collections cool. or both the two collections. And now we're back up to, to five collections, one bridal <laughs> collection a year. I know, because why? Why not? <laughs> no, but I, I bet bridal's really fun and such a different, weirdly a different part of your brain. It is. It absolutely is. And I love doing it because it's not 
we don't really do traditional bridal. We do something that's definitely more of a ready to wear vibe. Yeah. It translates well from our main collection, if that makes sense. So it all kind of makes sense together, but just do it in all those white fabrics. <laughs> what about you must be thinking way more about, not way more, but just in a completely different way about texture and um, Absolutely. proportion and things like that. I love that. And how things wrinkle. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, how much you sweat in things. Yeah. <laughs> it is a different part of your brain that you have to access. It is funny. practical part. Yeah. We've yeah. done a lot more bridal in the last couple of years. And it's, it's yeah. interesting that the, the needs are so different and the concerns are so different. You're kind of like, really? Yeah. You're worried about sweating? I don't know. I just It's something I never would think about. I know. But now you do. Now I do. <laughs> that part of your brain's now been tapped. <laughs> You've already had such huge success with big accounts and being chosen for the inauguration. Is that, is it overwhelming? And, and how do you handle the pressure? I find so much joy in, in what I do that it's obviously a little nerve wracking, but I don't feel overwhelmed by it because I kind of like to rise to the occasion and um, meet, meet the challenge kind of head on. I do have a lot of confidence in myself and in my abilities. And I think that obviously really helpful when you're you do, doing a creative business, yeah. doing any kind of creative business. I just, every now and then you need to kind of unwind and, and take do, a little bit of a break. And how do you do that? I really like to travel and I like to travel by myself randomly. Me too. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what I, yeah, I'm one of those people. I don't mind going out to dinner by myself. Same. I don't even need to bring a book. I can just like sit there and enjoy my own company. Yeah, it really is. It's great. So after our first fashion, show in September. I went to Italy afterwards for a few days and I just sat on a beach chair for four days. Oh my <laughs> god. Absolutely nothing. So nice. Yeah. And it was great. So yeah. And I also and think I have to kind of tap out. Well in the in leading up to a show, I'm sure there's just it, there's so, so much communication that I think having because yep. I feel that way after market, after being there for yep, exactly. I mean, it's months and then I just need it's like constant. Yeah. I need four days of not talking to anybody. <laughs> You do. And that, but it's like, not only not talking, it's like, everybody's pulling you during like market for you and, and yeah. fashion week for me is everybody's pulling you in so many different directions. Actually, that is a very overwhelming feeling mm -hmm. that it is. It's great to just like tune out and have zero communication for a few days. Well, and for me too, I, I started to do that at the end of market. I would do several days alone. And I think that, um, I have a 17 year old daughter and I have a husband and I, I think it was, it would be two months of market pretty much or however, I mean, it lasts a long time. And then, yeah. and then, ha and then going straight on a plane and being there for them after being away for a long time. And I just wasn't prepared. Like I didn't, ha I wasn't, I didn't have anything to give them anymore, you know? Yeah. And I, I just needed, I needed a minute just to <laughs> just to stop. <laughs> yeah. And to recharge, you yeah. become completely drained. And yeah, it's like, also people are asking you a million different questions all the time and you have to make these snap decisions or any kind of decisions. It's nice to just not have to answer a question or make a decision for, <laughs> yes. for a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you're the boss too. Like you yeah. ultimately you do have to make all, I mean, agree to all the it's decisions. True. You're I guess. the final, you're the final answer. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you have loved to have gotten when you were first starting out the, the things that you know now? One of the most important things I think when you're starting a fashion business or any business, but specifically a fashion business is to have a very specific point of view and to really lean into that and stick to it and stay true to, to it and to 
not try to make everybody happy because it's nearly impossible. <laughs> so I think it's important to do what you do best because there's so many people, you have so many voices that are like, you should do this instead. Like you really, really need this in the market and it doesn't <laughs> necessarily make sense for, for you. Yeah. It's really important to kind of stay true to, uh, to what you do. But that's hard. I mean, how do you have, how do you find that place in you? You just have it. I, I, mean, I don't have it. I, mean, totally, I, just, I have a horrible quality of a total people pleaser. I have a, the hardest time saying no to people, um, which is something I'm really working on. But it's also something, that, thankfully, that my team is able to do. So yeah. they really they really keep it straight for me. Yeah. No, my, da- my dad always says if, if everybody likes you, you're not telling the truth about who you are. It's true. <laughs> and it's really – it's hard. Uh, so that's something that, that I'm working on. But also I do really um, – love what I do. And I know that I can't do everything well. So I would prefer to do what I do well than try to make somebody else happy when it comes to work, I guess. Yeah. What does success look like for you in the next five or 10 years of Mark Arian? I mean, we've been slowly trying to grow the business over the past five years and trying to do so organically um, and taking each next step when it kind of makes sense for us instead of trying to force it. Mm-hmm. I would love to open a few more showrooms and to kind of expand our private client business because that's the part of the business that I really love the most. And you've had some, um, some pretty notable ones. Any any you care to share? <laughs> <laughs> we have. I mean, I, I feel like at some point I probably have to stop talking about this, but when we did the inauguration with Dr. Biden, that was obviously one of our, you know, best moments ever and probably will be for the rest of my life. And what what was it like? I was incredibly nervous. (laughs) (laughs) How can you not be? (laughs) To to have somebody with that's about to experience a a moment like that. Yeah. And for them to put their trust in you to try to make them look good for it. Yeah. um, Or to make clothing for it is... um, it's a daunting task, but obviously a huge honor and a really exciting one. So that was, it was incredible. Did you get it any was, advice we were, from Gigi? Our whole, of course, of course. she's like, <laughs> of course she's going to love what you're, what you're going to make for her. She's like, I have complete faith in you. <laughs> she's my number one supporter, I would say. But, but isn't that, um, isn't that, isn't that huge though? I mean, isn't that so important to have people in your life that just, that believe that? Like, it sounds it like is. your sister and Gigi and probably a lot more people, but. Yeah. And I, and I also think like having had the first business and being okay with it, and I don't know if you were okay with it, but being okay with yeah. it ending, I think you also know that no matter what happens, all those people will still love you and, you know, will still think that you're talented and amazing. And, and I, I think it's rare and it's so important it is it's so important to have a champion because those champions really make you feel like you can do anything yeah and having that kind of support is really invaluable in all of our podcasts we ask and we did hear about one puffy dress but tell me (laughs) we ask uh what you wore to the prom and I, i can't wait to hear what you wear to a colorado prom (laughs) <laughs> Colorado prom. <laughs> I wore I wore my Susie Perrette dress to my to my prom. Amazing. Um, which was great. And I actually I didn't make my own prom dress, but I um I don't know what I wore to my second prom. I wore the Susie Perrette for one and then I don't remember what I wore for my second prom. How bad is that? That's, that's bad, but what do you <laughs> <laughs> not good. No, and, and tell me well tell me more about the Susie Perrette. Like what what was the fabric again and what and what how did you accessorize? It was this black silk taffeta. Silk taffeta. Um, and was it moray it was so- or it was? It- 
just no. a plain, plain taffeta. And it was short. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't long and it was strapless and it was just the, I still have it. It's oh. the prettiest thing ever. It has lots of tool in it. It's hanging <laughs> in my closet in Colorado. It's so good. And I just wore like cute little dangly earrings. Updo? Mm-hmm. Of course. Oh, obviously. Shoes, I mean, do you a Denver shoes? prom, you really, you're going to have an up <laughs> Did you have tendrils? That's what I need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> have you done a version of this in any of your collections? No, but now I'm thinking that I probably should. <laughs> you definitely should. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.